Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, hi, my name is Maddie, and we're very grateful that you chose to be here with us to kind of share in this worship experience, and if you are especially new here with us, a couple of things I want to let you know that might make your time with us a bit more enjoyable, make you feel more welcome. The first is, if you're kind of dreading that time where a plate's going to come in front of you and ask you for money, I don't want you to worry. What we want to try and do is we want to promote self-motivated, God-motivated giving at Epiphany Station. So anyone who considers themselves the church, who wants to give to the church for the good of the church and its mission, you can do that. We just don't want you to have to feel like you have to if you don't. So if you do want to give financially or give your offering to God here, you can. We have three ways to do it. We have the red boxes scattered throughout the facility. You can drop anything in those. We have a tablet with a card reader in the back corner of this room. And if maybe later this week, or maybe you're watching at home online today, you can go to epiphanystation.com and find under the Give tab a way to do that. The second thing that might make it more helpful for you in kind of making a connection here at Epiphany Station if you're new, is if you are new or fairly new and you really want to let us know who you are and be a part of what we're doing, I want to show you our Introduce Yourself connection card. These cards can be found wherever there's a red box. And you can grab one of these, fill it out with a little name and a contact detail so someone from our team can get in touch. Maybe you want to know what's going on. Maybe you want us to know something about you or your experience. Or maybe you just want to look for the, if this could maybe be your home church. You can grab one of these, fill it out, drop it in, and someone will be in touch with you. Now, we are in uh, week three of our teaching series around the Bible. This thing we're doing all summer long for 10 weeks straight. Having a conversation really about what the Bible is trying to tell you about you. We started in week one talking about creation, and if God's account of creation is true, then it teaches us three things that must be true. That you were created on purpose, that you were made to be loved and made to love. Last week, we opened up a conversation about good and evil, where they come from and how we interact with them on the daily. And we saw that we were actually made to do good and to turn from evil, and God gives us the ability to do that. So in week three, we get to have a different kind of conversation surrounding what I think is maybe one of the most misunderstood things about what God has been doing since the beginning of mankind, a conversation about God's people and why he has one. All throughout history, from the very beginning, God's had his first people, and then he talked to a guy called Abraham, and then he had a nation called Israel, and now he has millions of people around the world that he's designated as his own church, his people. And for us to understand why he has a people will help us understand why he's doing what he's doing in the world. Our core text throughout this teaching series that we're trying to fully understand and and grapple with is going to be more highlighted by our understanding of why he has a people. Our core text is John 3, 16 through 17, which goes something like this. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. For us to grasp with that, today we're going to understand why God then and why God now has a people that he calls his own and what he's going to do with them. So go back towards the beginning of creation and we find that God has a conversation, one of the first with someone he's going to call to be his, a guy called Abram or Abraham. And he basically has this opening convo which basically highlights what God promises this kind of relationship to be like. In Genesis 17, we find what God says, what he asks, and what he promises. It says to Abraham, he says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. 
This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Then in verse 9, he says, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. So when God marks out a people for himself then and now, he founds it on a covenant. It's this this binding agreement between people and God that he will be ours and we will be his. And I think right there we find some of the issues people take with God. The questions we have about God being a good God. How can he be a good God if he just exclusively carves out a small niche of people for himself? Why not all people? Why not embrace them wherever they are and call them his people? It's why others will see God's choice to have a people as elitist. Some say that calling the nation of Israel was racist or xenophobic and simply not fair. So when you look at them, the Old Testament Israelites, or you look at the New Testament church, or you look at us today, people consider us just these arrogant, self-spoiled brats who think they're better than everyone else because they're God's chosen people. Now, if that were true, it would seem that God were not good. But all of that is brought into effect of people thinking that God is not good because him having a people is not fair, overlooking the fact that God throughout history, and as we see in John 3, 16, 17, invites people into his people. He talks so extensively, even Old Testament, about making foreigners citizens, and outsiders insiders, and orphans family. The bit that's really not fair to people is that to be one of God's people comes with an expectation. It comes with an expectation to actually be his people. When God sought to create this group, and he continues to do it to this day, he wants to differentiate them from the rest of the world. Anyone and everyone else who decides not to be his, these people will look different. So that's why he sets some rules down. It's why he expects trust and for us to pursue righteous living. It's why when you look at God's people throughout history, you see actually it wasn't all peaches and rainbows and meadows and skipping. It was actually really hard. And because it's really hard, many people choose not to be his people because that means submitting to his leading. It means being guided by him and corrected by him. Now, we have this kind of, I want to say, different set of rules for people and for God. We think that God shouldn't do that, that he shouldn't expect anything of us, yet we kind of do that already. We expect certain things, especially certain things of people that represent us. Hey, stop eating dirt. You're a Taos. Represent. (laughs) And we're okay to expect our family members to behave a certain way. We would maybe want people who represent our company or even our nation or our church to, to represent well who we are and what we believe. We just don't think God should get to do that. But here is why God called the people to himself. So he had a people to lead. A people to lead that agreed to being led. A people to lead that agreed to being led that he could lead to be different from the rest of the world around them. That he could lead them to a way of doing life that was quite frankly better than any way of doing life and a more loving way of doing life. So that anyone who came into contact with his people would actually see his character and what he is like. That's why he has a people. So this is what the Bible is trying to tell you about you. You are invited to be one of his people. You can come exactly as you are, 
where it's okay not to be okay and you should not expect to be perfect. But in that, God promises that he will make something of you that you cannot make of yourself. That he will use you not to stagnate you, stop you, slow you, but instead to follow and move you towards what you were always destined and born to be. So if any of us ever make that decision, like loving God and loving people is what we're going to be all about, and we make this agreement with God that that's what we're going to do, we should expect as his people for him to hold us to it, for us to guide us in it and train us up through it, and to discipline us when we're not doing it. This is one of those shiny moments of understanding that God's people was not always supposed to be so they can just be treated nicely. They're supposed to be challenged, and therefore, when we do things that are not what belong in God's people, God disciplines those people. Hebrews 12 goes into this conversation about what that truly means and how we understand it if we want to be His people. Hebrews 12.5 says, look, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not his children at all. Since we respected our fathers, our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? There's a lot in there. But the promise is this. In light of Genesis, in light of John, in light of Hebrews, the promise is this. God is loving enough to love you at your very worst. God is loving enough to love you before you do anything about it. But God is also loving enough not to leave you where he finds you with all of the things that have crept in that are hurting you, harming you, dividing you from others. But instead, he will seek to love you enough to discipline those things out of you that don't belong in you. And that is hard. Truthfully, I think when we have conversations about God and discipline, we often think that he's some bully walking down the beach, kicking over people's sandcastles and laughing. Or we view him as some man stood on a cloud with a lightning bolt waiting to smite you. In fact, the truth is that God desires to discipline you only and if only you say, I want to be one of your kids. I want to be one of your people. And in that moment, God might see things or throughout your life see things that need disciplining. He might see in you develop a greed and need to have things that really aren't the point of life. So therefore, he might take them from you. He might even just remove the joy that you get from possessing them. He might see you be angry and need to deal with that. To the point that I'm just going to pick something off the top of my head here. He might like show you that as you woke up at 2 o'clock this morning to the sound of one of your children retching next to you like they were going to throw up. And your first response was to yell at them to get out of your bed. And then your wife said, you're yelling at a kid that is feeling sick. And then you feel guilty about that and convicted. That could happen. And I'm just, that's out of nowhere. Like that, <laughs> that did not happen 11 or 12 hours ago. <laughs> He might show you that your anger does not have a place in your relationships by showing some of the weakest, most fragile displays of love to you in grace. 
And you know what? He might see there's a sin so deeply rooted in you that you're not dealing with that he might even just pop it up for open and public display. Whatever it takes to get out of you what does not belong in you, what is not good for you. So it begs the question, really, doesn't it? What about me? Right, because that's the question you're all asking. Not about Maddie and his anger issues to his children. What about me? What could there possibly be that needs to be disciplined in me? Well, I'm going to give you time to think about that. Time to think. If honestly I was to be corrected by God in some area of my life, what's the first thing that pops into my head? Like if I was to have my heart thoroughly examined as someone who says they're God's people, someone who says they want to love God and love people, what doesn't stand up to examination? What is in there that doesn't belong to be in there? Is it a form of impurity in all of its wily fashions and forms? Is it anger, frustration, hatred of a certain people or person? Is it the exercising of jealousy? Is it that we are selfish, prideful, arrogant? Do we worship the wrong things, finding too much of our identity in them? Is it greed? Is it an entitlement we feel that we have that we should be given more? Is there something that is dishonorable and shameful in your life? Fun game, this, isn't it? I'm going to make it even more fun by awkwardly having you sit for 30 seconds and to make a list. You can look at me all day long. I'm going to be working on mine. The program that you're handed in, as you're handed as you walked in, I want you to think, what are the things that if I were God, I would want to correct in me? Who could come up with at least one? Thank you for your honesty. That's why God's discipline exists. Because you know that there are things that are in you that don't belong in you. And if you know that there are things that are in you that don't belong in you, God knows it too. And he desires you to be different, to live differently, so he can point to you to show a different way of doing life. But we have to remember throughout all of this that we don't make this list so we can put it on the mirror and yell at ourselves and feel shameful and hurt or God is dismayed with us. It is so that we can understand that when it comes, because it'll come, that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Those that he says are his children. To remember that God disciplines those he loves as a truth, as a fact, as a thing to live our entire lives by. And if we are loved, then we should expect, nay, we should welcome what's going to come next. Because what's going to come next is a discipline that leads you towards righteous living. A discipline that makes you better. A discipline that makes you more loving of him and of people. The reality that you live in, whether you like it or not, as God has sought to highlight and describe all of the evil and sinful things that you could even construe and say, that's not supposed to be in you. Let me take it out of you. Our agreement to the covenant is that we'll let him. 
Our agreement is that we'll follow him, that we'll let him shape us. And his promise is that you will never be so dirty, so ugly, so shameful, so ridden with guilt, crime, and offense that he will discard you. That he will be, as he said to Abraham, always your God, even in the discipline that you hate. So what's next? What do we do when we realize there are things to be disciplined? Well, I think, honestly, for me to give you a what's next in this instance is quite dangerous. It's quite dangerous for me to actually tell you to what to go and do for three reasons. One, I'm not you. Two, it's not my list. And three, I'm not your God. So I'm going to challenge you this week as a next step, as an actionable, practical thing, not just an idea, to do something that I am sure about that I can trust will be good for you if you are one of his people to deal with sin and to know that he loves you is to actually actively let God love you. That sounds a bit cliche, sounds a bit cheesy. I'm fully aware of that. Thank you very much. No need for comment cards. (laughs) But letting God love you in light of what we're learning through this series looks different now from maybe what we've previously conceived. If God created you and he made you to be loved and there's such a thing as good and evil that he wants to turn you from the evil and to the good, then letting him love you means letting him discipline you. It means inviting the discipline. It means going to him first proactively and asking, what do you see in my life? That's one of the reasons for prayer. It's to go in confession, to ask for the help that you need to get the things that don't belong in you, to go and let him love you. If you don't have a list or you can think of anything, to start the conversation with God, would you, would you find, would you show me, and then let him love you. It can be to go into the Bible, to maybe go read all of Hebrews 12 as a full chapter and let him love you by showing you what he's going to do in your life. It might be going to find another Jesus follower that you trust who can give you advice that you would actually follow and letting him love you. All the while seeking to remember and drive home into yourself and to each other that it is because of love. Let me finish with this. I understand and I know, believe me, I know, there are many of you that do not know that discipline is love. Our greatest experiences of discipline usually come from our parents and very specifically our fathers. And there is enough reason for us to believe that discipline is not love. No father is perfect. We've been mistreated. We've been lashed out at in anger. We've not met up to expectations in all sorts of environments and with people in which we've been disciplined where it wasn't love. So it can be hard for us to believe that when God says discipline is love, to actually believe it. But here is what I know. That God measured up against the best dad in the world is nothing like the best dad in the world. Because the best dad in the world still has his own needs, his own weaknesses, his own sin, his own evil that he has to deal with. God does not. So everything that God has done to this point has been for your God. God is good. God is good all the time for us, for you. Our part of the agreement to be in relationship with him is to let him love us and to let him discipline So you could actually walk to him with courage and confidence and trust. You could take your list or anything else and say, I need you to love me. I need you to work in me. Hebrews 12 wraps up its section with this. It says, look, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. 
No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. That is God's promise. That is why he has a people, to train them to live in a way that is different, to give them the promise of righteous living. That is what is on offer to you and I. As we wrap up this conversation, I'm going to invite the music team to come on up as they lead us in a song of response. And also as we do that, the prayer team during that last worship song and at the end of the experience is going to be down front. Our prayer team are high character individuals that you can trust with your confidences that simply want to pray and support you. If there's anything that's going on in your life, maybe you don't know if you're one of God's people, but you want to be. Maybe it's that there's some evil in your life or there's some conviction or some discipline that's going on that you don't understand that you need guidance and wisdom from. They would love to pray with you and for you. We have an invitation. All people have an invitation to be his people. Understanding what he does with us and why he does it is part of understanding how he loves us. So in that, let me pray for you guys. Father God, I thank you that you're, um, that you're not soft-willed and that honestly you seek what is best for us even when we don't know what that is, that you bring your discipline when we need to understand what is wrong and what is right and that you hold us to this pursuit of loving you and this pursuit of loving people. So help us not to give up. Help us not to feel slighted when we are corrected and help us just submit to what your love is, wanting the very, very best for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.